it is my um, joy and privilege to be able to um, introduce our, our guest speaker for today. Uh, his name is, is Pastor James Cha. Um, he's serving at Open Door Church in, in Virginia. Um, not to be confused with Pastor John Cha, who spoke here um, earlier this summer. He's actually um, Pastor James is Pastor John's older brother. Um, there are six of them in the Cha family who are siblings who are all in, involved in ministry of some sort. Um, but he is here with his wife, uh, Faith, and their three children, uh, Joniel, Josiah, and Karis. Um, they were here about five years ago. They were uh, serving as missionaries in um, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. And um, of all the missionary, I get, I'm sure you all do as well, but I get missionary letters all the time from people who are serving in different parts of the world. Um, but the Cha uh, family prayer letter is one that I always eagerly uh, long to read and to pray for because um, every time there's an update, there's some clear uh, move of God in and through their lives. And it's not just like one little thing, but multiple things. Their testimonies are filled with just miraculous answers to prayer and God's powerful provision. And um, it's a I don't know how else to say it, but their lives are living out um, a modern-day version of the book of Acts in a lot of ways. And they are a model, an example to so many people. And many people throughout the world uh, view this family as um, a family that has given everything for the sake of the gospel in so many ways. Um, Pastor James and and Faith are um, just mentors to so many people in the mission field as well as for those who are seeking the follow hard after Christ. And if um, the children are any indication of um, the godly example set by the parents, um, then I I have not come across. I don't know um, Karis as well as I um, have heard many things from Joniel and Josiah. I don't know many people their age who are um, have the depth of maturity and faith and have experienced God in the ways that they have. It is um, an ad- utter, utter privilege for us to have Pastor James come and share the Word of God with us. So let's welcome him up as he comes to share. And open up the way. Turn this on. Well, good morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you. And actually, um, Pastor D.L., if it's okay, I'm going to change the sermon. I've been blessed by the testimonies. And um, rather than speaking on idolatry, uh, I would like to speak on uh, what Jesus had to say from John chapter 12. Uh, Hearing from the brother who... uh, who lost his younger brother, and how God would want us to honor people like him. And so, actually, if the brother in the back, if he's doing the PowerPoint, if you can bring up my USB stick, I'll give you a new file, a different file, to show some photos. But if we could read from John chapter 12, and then, um, and I'll pray, and then we'll continue from there. John 12, starting from verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. 
But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will, will honor the one who serves me. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for these recorded words of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, chronicling his, uh, uh, Lord, his steps towards the cross. Lord, the requests that came to him. Um, the invitations, Lord, and so much of um, what the world was expecting of him. And he cuts through that, Father, and he reveals his heart for your glory. And he reveals his heart um, for your way to be done according to your will, according to your plan. And Father, we pray that for our lives, that even the best of our dreams is nothing compared to what you have for us. But it's not, it doesn't always include victories and, and conveniences and comforts. Lord, there are sufferings and challenges and disappointments and failures because we're not like your son, Jesus Christ. But Father, we desire to be more like him. And we pray that you would purify us, consecrate us, Lord, refine us, that our desires to begin with would be like your sons. And then even our words and actions would follow that. And so I want to pray a blessing upon Harvest Church, upon this ministry. Lord, thank you for their desire to follow through in the wake of uh, last last year, Lord, that they are bringing fruit into the lives of the people there. And I pray that you'd be glorified, Lord, and Lord, that this would not just end here with short-term mission and only one year afterwards, but it would grow and multiply from here so that the ends of the earth would know that this death was not in vain last year. But like our Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection even now is being celebrated all over the world and is bringing life to Muslims and Hindus and Ecuadorians and that that would continue. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yeah, if, if I can get a stick. Oh, it is already up here. Thank you. Some, some angel brought it up. Um, yeah, thank you, Pastor D, uh, DL, for those kind words. We you know, just want to let you know we are not perfect family. Even on our vacation time, we get into arguments and all that, and uh, that's part of life. Um, but I just want to include some uh, photos of faces that I'm going to be sharing about because I think that's important. But if I, I can have, thank you. Um, and it says, CBCM message three about service. What I would like to share with you is, um, you know, Jesus says here, the time, it's when the Greeks, the Gentiles, the rest of the world, they want to know about Jesus. You know, he had just come into Jerusalem. It was a triumphal entry. Um, they were saying he was possibly going to deliver Israel from the hands of the enemies, from the Roman Empire. And the Greeks come up. It doesn't say why they wanted to see Jesus. They just are curious. You know, perhaps they have some philosophical questions. But they're curious, and Jesus says, gives a strange response. He doesn't say, yes, I'm ready to receive them. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be 
glorified. And he's talking about the crucifixion that's to come. And then he says the kind of death he's going to die, what he's going to do next, that he's going to give up his life so that people like the Greeks and the Gentiles, the Muslims, the Koreans, can come into God's kingdom. And I believe this is a principle that God or Jesus is telling us that we need to follow that principle in order to bear fruit. And just hearing the testimony, a few testimonies uh, this morning just reminded me of the loss of a brother last year brought about fruit, is bringing fruit in Ecuador, but especially in this church. And that's what I want to celebrate because there are people, young people here in this church that God wants to call and send off to the ends of the earth. But unless we are willing to die and give up things that hold our hearts, we cannot follow him. So I want to share a few uh, words of encouragement from my life. I was called into missions when I was a junior in college. And I was studying engineering, electrical engineering. And like Pastor D.L. shared, my dad was a pastor. He was a, a church planter, actually. He, he had been in ministry for 40 years, starting from Pyongyang, which is the North Korea, you know, capital city of North Korea. Actually, all four grandparents, all four parents, my parents and my wife's parents are from North Korea. So you are seeing the North Korean products. We're made in North Korea. Or our children are made in North Korea. Um, and my dad would time to time share with us the difficulties of ministry that started in Pyongyang and how he was persecuted. But he was greatly impacted by pastors who faithfully served God, especially during the, the Japanese occupation during World War II, and how the pastors refused to bow to the Shinto shrine. And many lost their lives. Many were tortured and put into prison. And my dad was taught by those who had chosen not to bow to Shinto Shrine. And that faith somehow, by God's grace, continued on in our lives. And I saw that in his life, that he, there was nothing that he would not be willing to sacrifice for the sake of God's glory. And many of those things, we talk about it in seminary, but unless you see someone living it out, it's hard to really bring that into your life. Jesus not only taught great sermons, he lived it out. And that's why he's a great discipler. And I want to talk about two great disciple, disciplers, disciple makers in my life. <clears throat> so it was when I was a junior in college, and some of you may have questions about calling. How do you know you're called into ministry? Well, in my case, I was, um, I grew up going to church, you know, pretty much by force. I have no choice. The car is going towards church. Where, where can I go? You know, so I went to church like many of you sitting through. Um, at that time, it, there was no English ministry. It was all in Korean. And my Korean was okay, but it was not, you know, I was second grade when I came over. It wasn't super, so some terms I just didn't understand. So I would sit through and kind of daydream, but I still came to church. But it wasn't until my freshman year in college where I met other Christians 
when they prayed, they really prayed as if they're talking to God. And when they read God's word, it was as if they were really reading God's word, something very important. And for one year, I struggled with my faith. But that summer after coming back home, there was an even a revival meeting at an Episcopalian church of all places. And that's where I was saved. And then I joined the Navigators. It was a campus ministry. And that's where God started growing me. And I met two amazing brothers. And first one, his name is Pete Cassetta. He's Italian. Um, and like all true Italians, he makes spaghetti sauce. He doesn't buy it, go out to Costco or whatever, Ragu brand. He makes his own sauce. And time to time, he would feed us, you know, the Bible study group. And he was um, also very frugal. You know, he, uh, he actually decided to stay on campus to disciple young men like me for about a couple years after he graduated. So here's a guy, 3.9. He was about to graduate from an Ivy League school, going, to, going towards med school. And God completely turned him around, and he decided to stay one more year, uh, finishing up on computer classes. He wanted to be a Bible translator. So he said, I'm going to stay. And he started working as a programmer, had a great job, but he didn't buy a car. He bought a used bike, and that's how he was commuting. And, you know, he was very frugal, very cheap. So time to time, we would go shopping together. And, you know, when you go shopping, well, especially for spaghetti sauces, um, he would buy tomatoes, but especially bell pepper. You know, when you buy pel- bell pepper, you pay by weight. So he would take the stem off the pepper <laughs> and then throw it back in the pile just so that he could save, you know, one or two pennies. Maybe some of you are laughing because you're doing that or <laughs> your parents have done that. So I would see that, and I, you know, I would kind of be embarrassed. I don't know him. And he would bring out wads of coupons. But then, you know, at the end of that year, this brother, uh, Pete Cassetta, he saved up enough money to buy, this was in 1983, he bought the first Macintosh that came out. So back then, it's really, you know, it's not that glamorous, with a printer, and it was $2,500. And he bought it for the staff leader on campus. And when I heard that, I thought, wow. I thought it was so cheap. He knew how to be frugal with himself, but lavish the love of God on someone else. And in churches, on sermons, we hear a lot about being generous, about giving, tithing. But when you see someone who live it out, it really impacts you. And I believe that's the spiritual principle. When you teach that and you live it out, God uses that part of his teaching, and brings, brings it into my life. So that as I was graduating from university, and I got my first job in Boston as an electrical engineer, well-paying, high salary, God was continuing to remind me, remember that example. And so 1 John uh, two fifteen and 16, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Because this is part of dying to yourself. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father 
is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. God was challenging me. Okay, James, you're about ready to buy your first car, which is a big thing, you know, for guys who are working, singles. For men, it's the love affair with a car. It's, it's one of the first, like, attractions. And it's about who we are. It, it defines who we are, what kind of car we have. And I'm in Boston. There are a lot of, you know, BMWs, uh, Porsches, Benzes. And I'm ready to buy my first purchase. But God is reminding me, remember Pete Cassetta. And, um, and I had to just pray through this verse many times. I had memorized it. and I said, God, help me not to go after the lust of, lust of my eyes, you know, what I, or boasting of what I have and what I can do. And so the first car that I bought was Plymouth Colt. I don't know if any of you. This is a long time. They don't even make that anymore. It didn't even have an air conditioner. It was a stick shift. I'm here sweating in Boston, you know, in the summer, driving around. But with the money that I saved by not buying a different kind of car, God allowed me to give towards two staff leaders who needed cars during that time. And God said, James, if you want to follow through on the example that was set by your discipler, put it into action. And I believe that's what some of you have done this summer. You know, especially I think of Brother Alex. He said he wasn't ready to go on short-term mission, but through um, what happened last year, he decided, I'm ready to go. And if the Lord is laying on you that kind of desire to follow through, following Jesus even closer, then there has to be steps of obedience. And that purchase of that first car led towards other decisions. So when my wife and I got married, we decided not to buy a home. She's a pharmacist. I'm an engineer. We're making good money. But we, you know, God was laying on our hearts, if you're going to be serving me on the mission field, a house is something that's going to tie your heart to America. Now, he didn't say that in a revelation, but he spoke that to our hearts. And so we decided not to buy a home. We decided to rent And then when we were in seminary, we lived in a trailer home for four years. How many of you have lived in a trailer home? It's, you know, um, this is a rinky-dink little one. So when it rains, it sounds like someone's shooting at your house with machine gun. You know, it's just, and the kids grew up crying. You know, they woke up crying until we all got used to it. But, you know, when you rent a home, you... You're more mobile. You can go anywhere. God says, okay, ready to go to seminary. Okay, go to that place for training. And you don't tie yourself with all the, you know, and these days they don't make homes. Well, for now, the economy has gotten worse. But for a long time, they just kept building them bigger and bigger. And the bigger the houses, the more things you fill up with. And God was challenging us. Don't tie your hearts. Like 1 John 2, 15, 16. Don't love the world. But then my love is not in you. And so as we left in 2000, we had no home. And I just want to share one testimony of God's faithfulness. In 2010, we decided to come back to America to put our oldest into college. And the next year, Josiah, the second one. 
And as we were coming back, we knew we didn't have a home. We had not bought a home here. Um, and time to time when we were back on furlough, one of the biggest struggles was we didn't have a home. And our church kind of expected us to live with our sibling. And, you know, first few times we did that, one time, you know, for four months. And, you know, with family of five, especially with three kids who eat a lot, and, that's, well, Joni and Josiah eat a lot anyway. You know, it's, it can be a burden, you know, even if they're siblings. And so as we were coming back, we were praying to God, God, we need a place. And so in Kyrgyzstan, in Bishkek, the five of us, we sat around the table, dining room table, and one day we just prayed and we said, God, we don't have a home, um, but you're faithful. We need a place. So I asked each person, what would you like for the Lord to provide? Think of a dream home that God, God can give to you. What would you like in that home? And so the youngest, well, I'll start from the youngest, Karis, he said, I want a swimming pool. Now, she was thinking more like a community pool. But she asked for a swimming pool. Josiah, he, he said, I want a lot of yard, big yard. I want a dog, so a big yard. Joniel said, I want a lot of woods, trees, forest, the area. Ecuador would be perfect, actually. <laughs> My wife, she said, I want hardwood floors. I like hardwood floors. And then I said, I want a brick home. You know, trailer home, tin roof was um, kind of shaky. And, you know, for the first two years, we rented a town home in Herndon, Virginia. But last Thanksgiving, uh, old, a colleague from my workplace in Washington, D.C., we were wor- working in the same engineering company for 10 years. He's also a believer. He uh, called us up and he said, let's meet for dinner. And then he said, you know... Um, he asked us, how can we help you? I said, well, we're praying for a home. Perhaps you know somebody who owns a home and wants to rent it out. And he said, God has blessed my company so much that he's worth several hundred million dollars. And he had built a home 30 years ago with his own hands, he and his wife. And that's how they came to Christ, actually. In the process of building that home, they were almost going to be divorced separated and the wife went to church first out of desperation she came to christ and then she took her husband there and he came to christ so this home is very significant for them well they bought another property in lexington which is two hours south they built a second home and this first home was vacant and empty so he said you want to come out check it out and live there and it's in leesburg well guess what it has swimming pool 10 acres Surrounded by woods, you know, our neighbors are deers and bears, you know. (laughs) Um, It has hardwood floors, and it's a brick home. And God met every one of those. And our brother Bob said, you can stay here as long as you want. If you want to just stay there forever until Jesus comes back, that's fine. (laughs) You know, and you don't have to pay rent. And he even used his own money to fix up the swimming pool, which was... He needed a lot of work, $20,000. He said, I'll write a check. Let's get it fixed up. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I want to especially challenge the young people. I know the American dream is a pressure from your peers, from yourself, from your parents. But Jesus says here, put to death those kind of things. It's not just physical death, but putting to death the American dream. 
Not that excellence in school is, is wrong. Not that pursuing and doing well in your career is, is wrong. But if that becomes your idol, an end in itself, then you cannot be serving Jesus. There will not be any fruit. You may be going through mechanics of ministry. But that spiritual principle that Jesus is talking about, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. That was the first discipler. Second discipler, his name is Jim Nethery. I met him a year after I met uh, Pete Cassetta. Pete Cassetta went on. He went on to Cameroon as a Bible translator with his wife. And then Jim Nethery took over. And he, growing up, he loved hockey, ice hockey. He's from Buffalo, New York. That was his life. And when he came to Cornell University, he, as, a var- as a freshman, he played for the varsity team. And during that time, Cornell was uni- um, winning the NCAA, NCAA uh, championships in ice hockey. So he was a great, and he kind of looks like Tom Cruise. I don't have a picture of him <laughs> But very good looking, you know, very um, good with words. And a lot of girls liked him, but he was a strong believer as well. His cousin, Lance Nethery, actually went on. He graduated from Cornell, went on to play for um, New York Rangers. So he was that caliber of professional, you know, skills in, in them. Well, Jim was involved with navigators, and the staff leader came to him one day and said, you know, Jim, it's great that you're playing hockey, but it's taking three to four hours per day from you. And that's, you cannot serve God like that. You have great um, skills and gift in discipling young men. How about considering giving up hockey for the sake of becoming a fisher of men? And Jim was struggling. And the coach heard about this. And the coach was a Christian. And he came to Jim and said, you know, obviously God has given you these talents. Why don't you just finish playing hockey, become a professional player like uh, your, your cousin, put John 3.16 on your jersey, you know, advertise Jesus, and that way you can be a good witness. But that's not what the Lord was speaking to Jim's heart. So he prayed, and then he decided to give up hockey. And he said for the next one year, he just cried. Every time there was mention. He thought about hockey because it was the love of his life. But he gave that up for Jesus. So when I met him, it was about three years ago. And Jim Nethery was my Bible study leader. And he was a great discipler. You know, he, um, he knew just how to bring up young men, brothers, and bring up stuff with faith, with his testimonies. He did some strange things. You know, he was... Um, like one way, when he, was, he taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, one way he trained young pastors was he would rent a sailboat from Miami and go all the way to uh, Bahamas. None of them knew how to sail. And he said, I'm going to make you men through this. And, you know, they would get seasick, they would throw up. But by end of the trip, they knew how to work as a team. That's the kind of radical guy he was. But there's one thing that I will never forget. Because, you know, I'm sure he was a great Bible study leader, but I don't remember too much of what he taught. But one Saturday morning, he invited us to his home, his apartment. And he was living in the basement of a fraternity house. 
And obviously, Friday night, the night before, there was a party. There, was, there were a lot of empty uh, bottles, cans, beer cans. Um, someone had thrown up on the you know, hallway. So we're walking through that, going into his room. He had this little cubicle, and he prepared breakfast for us. And it was uh, scrambled eggs and toast and orange juice. You know, I may not remember all the messages he gave, but I will never forget that setting. Captain of the varsity hockey team, he gave that up to make breakfast for four little guys, nerds. We're all nerds, engineers or pre-med, you know. (laughs) None of us are jocks. We don't play hockey or football. But he decided to invest in four of us. And that breakfast of sacrifice meant so much to me because it spoke, here's a man who gave up his dream to invest in my life. And the Lord showed that to me very clearly so that later on, as an engineer, I had a great job working in Washington, D.C. My boss and I, we actually received patents for our work and we were being flown to different conferences to give our Uh, seminars. But it wasn't that difficult to give that up, to go to the mission field. But God used Jim Nethery and his example in my life. And I wonder if there are people like that in your life. You know, for high schoolers, sixth grades who just came up, ask God, God, send me someone like that into my life that I can follow Because sometimes Jesus appears so distant from us. I don't know what he's talking about. But when he brings someone closer and that we're able to follow them, he will lead us towards sacrifices, towards harvest. If you could bring up, yeah, actually, if you could scroll through a lot of, okay, just keep going and then. Okay, right here. Okay. Um, Because I want to make things concrete on the mission field, what it means to give up um, comfort, give up um, our own dreams, our own strategies. And, you know, missionaries tend to be very ambitious, um, very driven, and... You know, it's, it's about, oh, God, you know, I want to do this for you. And we think we have an idea. And what's very popular right now is this church planting movement. Oh, let's see multiplication of churches all over the world and bring Jesus back quickly, that kind of thing. But God was teaching me something else. He needed to humble me and break me before he could use me. And he was doing that, actually, even on here. But he needed to do more of that on the field. So let me share about Ali Sher. As you can see, uh, it's his baptism, but he's um, kind of stiff. And there's a reason. He was a Muslim. He's, he's Tajik. He grew up in Uzbekistan, uh, Muslim. But when he got married to uh, uh, first wife, they got into a lot of arguments. And he would drink and he would beat up his wife. So the father-in-law came one day and confronted him. They got into a fight and his father-in-law stabbed him. And he lost a lot of blood. He was hospitalized. Well, when he was released, he came 
out, he found his father-in-law, took an iron pipe, hit him on the head, cracked his skull, and the blood was gushing out. And this man, Elisher, took a bowl, put it right under his head, collected all the blood, and drank it in front of him. Because in the Quran, it says, eye for eye, blood, um, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever you do to me, I will pay you back. That kind of, it's very strong. And so he drank his father-in-law's blood until he died. I mean, and his father-in-law died in front of him. And then he was put into prison. But by God's grace, while he was in prison, he heard the gospel. You know, the Russians had this way of bringing the worst criminals in the prison. Well, someone like a murderer and a Christian evangelist are in the same prison. You know, they're both considered terrible criminals. So that's how he heard the gospel. And then he came out after serving his sentence, I think 12 years or so. And then he was wondering, okay, now that I'm a Christian, his first wife didn't want to see him at all. He got married again, uh, this time to a Christian woman. And he invited, somehow he got connected with us, and he said, could you come and disciple me? And one of the reasons why he was looking for this was because he was becoming, he was losing his senses. He had some kind of nerve disease, and it could be possibly traced back to the blood that he drank and the consequences of that sin. But he started losing mobility first, his legs, and then his arms, and eventually he could only move his head. But he said, come to my village. So every, once a week, I went to his village, took my guitar. I was just learning the Tajik language, so I'm not that proficient. But where else is he going to go? You know, he's captive audience. So we had Bible study for two hours, and, you know, I'm rambling on, and I don't know what I'm saying in Tajik, but he's listening to it. And we would also sing praise songs. Well, one, one day, uh, his wife was not there, and he needed to go to the bathroom. So I took him to the, it's not like here, it's outhouse. So we went to the outhouse, took care of him, brought him back. And while we were there, I realized that it was, it was really a mess. A lot of mist droppings here and there. So I took a bucket of water, took a broom, and then cleaned it out. Uh, and the next slide. And next day, another man joins our Bible study. And his name is Hormurot. And he came and he said, you know, a lot of our Muslim clerics, priests, they will talk and preach about kindness, but none of them will ever go into someone else's bathroom to clean it up because it will defile them. You are the first teacher of God who came and actually cleaned someone's bathroom. I want to learn from you. So he joined our Bible study. Now there are two men, and eventually he becomes a believer. But that's something, um, there's something amazing about him, because his testimony. Because when we started learn, singing songs, especially in Tajik language, we were singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. He said, I heard the song before. And so I asked him, oh, really? You know, did you ever go to church? He said, no. Then how, did you, how do you know this song? He said, I know the tune because about 15 years ago, a group of Swedish tourists came to Samarkand, to that city, This was still during the time of Soviet Union. And they were wandering around, and he bumped into them. They were looking for a place to stay. And he said, you want to come over and stay with us? They said, sure. So they came, 
And he said, amazingly, every time there was a meal at the table, they would come and they would sing some song. And that was one of the songs that they sang. And he recognized the tune. And you know, I believe that was a prayer walking team from Sweden that God had sent. And 15 years ago, they prayed for salvation for this household. And 15 years later, God honors the prayer of that short-term team, brings me in contact with this man. He accepts the gospel, becomes a believer. And God's purposes are fulfilled. And so even on short-term team, I, short-term mission trips, I encourage you, pray in bold faith. Every time you're invited to someone's home, God, I pray for salvation. You know, even in an English language, sing a praise song. Who knows? Someone else may hear that later and say, I heard that before. What was done in faith, God honored. In the next slide. And then while the two men and I are having, uh, singing praise songs and Bible study, having Bible study, this girl, Habiba, she was about eight years old at the time. She just came for the singing part. She didn't want to stay for the Bible study. But she said, oh, you know, our people usually don't sing, but you're singing songs about God. So she learned about um, give thanks, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high. And then she took that home and started singing at home. And her mother was kind of curious, what is this song that you're singing about? So eventually I, she got connected with my wife's, the woman's Bible study that my wife was leading. And then uh, Habiba becomes a believer. Next slide. Her mom Next slide. Her sister, next, her father, her brother. This household, over the months, over the years, gradually they come to Christ. But it starts with our heart. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground. And some of you, Jesus is going to tug at your heart. Will you lay that for me? Will you lay that down for me? And it could be anything. It could be a relationship. It could be academic you know, pursuit. It could be a career goal. It could be the American dream, the big house. Whatever is getting in the way. Because obviously, you know, I see, I hear from the testimonies, your heart is open. You want to serve God. But not just for the summer. Is it for long term? It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a missionary. But even as a lay worker, God, use me to bring the lost people into your kingdom. But unless we lay down these things that are on our hearts, possibly as idols, God cannot use us. I have more to share, but I just, in honor of your time, and, and then you know, come and talk to us afterwards. And if you ever, you know, the home that we're living in, Leesburg, they're assessing it to be over a million dollars. You know, if you ever want to live in a million-dollar home for free, give up everything, go to Mission Field for 10 years, and, (laughs) you know, come back. Um, We're so thankful to God that he's faithful. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He is faithful. But we do have to give up things to follow him. We cannot have both. You have to release in order to follow Jesus. You cannot hold on to the world and try to follow him.
Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, this church. And Lord, over a year period from the time of the going home of our brother um, and the praise reports of today, Holy Spirit, you have been at work and you are continuing to work in the lives of the members here. And I pray especially for the young men and women, Lord, the high school students, Lord, the future is in front of them. Lord God, I pray for godly brothers and sisters to come into their lives, to mentor them, to show them the way, how to follow Jesus closely, not from a distance, but closely, laying down everything for the sake of the kingdom. And Father, this church as a whole, Father, would make an impact here in Orlando, and especially in international communities, Lord, who are being neglected. Lord, who um, may not have opportunity to hear the gospel. That you would use this church, like its name, would be a place of harvest. Place of equipping. Place of celebration of so many lost souls coming to Christ. So I just want to bless them, Father, and um, continue to... Uh, Use your servant, Pastor D.L. Lord, it's just um, such a blessing, Father, to, to have a pastor, a shepherd, who feeds from your word faithfully the, the flock. And you would grow them, Father. And Lord, that you would bless uh, his ministry. Lord, continue to draw him closer to you. Reveal him more and more. Your heart, Father, that... that um, that this would be a good training ground also for future shepherds. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name.